Hey, Crack fans. Before we get to today's show, I want to let all of you listeners know about the revolutionary work being done by our friends over at Swing Vision. Now, all of us as tennis players are constantly searching for that piece of information that's going to give us that one, two, three percent edge whenever we step onto the court. We want to know, am I hitting my forehand with enough depth? Am I accurately placing my backhands? Am I employing patterns on the court that are putting me in an optimum position to experience success? Thankfully, all of those questions can now be answered via the app produced by our friends at Swing Vision. Folks, it's extraordinarily simple. You're going to download the app. You're going to turn that app on your phone. You're going to put your phone on the back fence, the back curtain of whatever court you're playing on. You're going to hit record. And then using artificial intelligence, Swing Vision is going to break down your performance. If you click on the link that you find in the podcast description here on today's episode, you'll go right to the Swing Vision website. And of of course, friends who use our Crack Rackets promo code CRACK20 are going to get an additional $20 discount and a free 14-day pro trial on the Swing Vision app. Again, you use that promo code CRACK20, $20 discount, as well as a free 14-day pro trial. How do you find the link? To get signed up, just go back to your podcast feed. It's in the podcast description of this episode. You go to the Swing Vision website, you set up your account, you download the app, you get rocking and rolling, get all the information one location with our friends at Swing Vision. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, June 29th, day three of Wimbledon, officially in the books. Once again, on the grass courts, the story of the day, the prowess of plus one tennis, whether it was John Isner, Caroline Garcia, Ugo Umber, Julie Niemeyer, the players that are able to be the aggressors, play on their terms, are always going to have profound amount of success at Wimbledon, and that was the case once again on day three, of course. On today's show, I want to tell the story of what was an exciting day on the grounds of the year's third Grand Slam, of course. It starts with John Isner ending the run of two-time Wimbledon champion Andy Murray. It hurts to see Andy Murray, Serena Williams, knocked out in the first three days of the event. The electricity in the air when those two were on court. The atmosphere they were able to play in on center court. It's going to be very difficult to duplicate that. Of course, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, Iga Sviantek going to generate that sort of excitement. But outside of those three, certainly we will feel the loss of Andy Murray as he's knocked out in four sets on the day. Of course, there was very little Andy Murray could do. It was just one of those serving days for John Isner. And of course, the majority of this match was played without the roof overhead on center court it was an outdoor match and Isner was just hitting his spots. We'll get into the story, talk about what was a valiant effort, certainly for Andy Murray, where he goes from here, of course. That was not the most significant result of the day. That was the match that captivated our attention the most, but certainly when you look on the women's side, four more upsets on the day starts with 10th seeded Emma Raducanu. It was a fantastic match between her and Caroline Garcia, but simply put, Garcia was too good. 
earning a straight set victory. And of course, Garcia, who has reached a second week at Wimbledon before, won a title in the week leading up to Wimbledon on the grass court. She's been ranked as high as number four in the world. We know what her ceiling is. She's playing closer and closer to that ceiling here with every passing grass court match. So of course, I want to get into what allowed Caroline Garcia to prevail, what weakness she identified that she kept attacking throughout the course of her straight set victory. Then, of course, we'll get into Nehemiah, who knocks out Annette Conteve, 6-4, 6-love. was a tightly fought first set, but unfortunately, the number two seed faded from there. That's really the story. Not sure I have to say much more, but I will, just in case some of you didn't get the chance to catch Nehemiah's performance, want to know what to expect from her moving forward. Of course, we also had Serana Kirstea and Helena Kalnina knocked out as seeds on the women's side. On the men's side, Casper Rude, the big seed, to go down on day three. The third seed knocked out in four sets by Ugo Umber. That match was my Patreon match of the day for day three. It delivered. The goods was tightly contested throughout, but ultimately, Ugo Umber, his game is just going to thrive on this surface. I'll explain why. I'll explain the weakness he identified in Kasparud, though I imagine many of you listeners already going to be well aware of that weakness, but it wasn't just Umber. Timmy Van Reithoven continuing an undefeated grass court season. Another impressive victory for him. Four sets over Riley Opelka. You had David Goffin. Straight sets over Sebastian Baez. We'll get into the upsets. We'll talk about how the top seeds looked, whether that be Novak Djokovic, Own Jabour, Carlos Alcaraz or others will break it all down here on today's show as we plan to do each and every day throughout the 2022 Wimbledon here on the Mini Break Podcast feed. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out on this podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, and I am sure you are sick and tired of hearing me say it, but if you are looking for preview content of every day's action at Wimbledon, check out our Cracked Rackets Great Shot podcast feed. On that Great Shot podcast feed, you'll find our Ace of the Day segment. I offer my picks via our friends at DraftKings for each day's matches. We are 8-4-2 through three days of of action. Of course, I also try to offer my thoughts on every match on the board, my ace of the day selections, my picks that go up on the record, but I do touch on every singles match that is going to be played throughout the course of the day. So if you're looking for preview content, as I know some of you listeners have requested, the Great Shot podcast feed is the place for you. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcast or on our website, crackedrackets.com, of course. If you're looking for bonus content, our Patreon subscribers, privy to our match of the day segment. I break down my favorite match of each and every day throughout this 2022 Wimbledon here on day number four, that match of the day, 17th seeded Elena Rabakina taking on Bianca Andreescu. I talked about the importance of that match to the big picture at Wimbledon, also offered the tactical breakdowns, the stats for each of the players, and so much more. If you're interested in that bonus content or you just like to support our efforts here at Cracked Rackets, again, you you can find out more by going to our website, crackedrackets.com. Of course, speaking of websites, a shout out as always to our friends at Tennis Point, the lifeblood of this mini break podcast feed. Support us day in, day out. Allow us to provide all of you tennis fans with the content, with the information.
information we know you deserve. Of course, they also provide the best equipment at the lowest prices, and you all know the deal. Tennis-point.com, the promo code CR15 gets you 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point.com, simple, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into it. Day three at the 2022 Wimbledon. The match we have to start with the headliner on the day. 20th seed John Isner earns his first victory in nine attempts against Andy Murray. Isner a 6-4-7-6-6-7-6-4 victory against the two-time Wimbledon champion. It started with the serve for John Isner. He faces just three break points in this match. God damn it. But with that said, let's get into it. Day three of the 2022 Wimbledon in the books. The place we have to start the headline match of the day. 20th seed John Isner, a 6-4-7-6-6-7-6-4 victory over two-time Wimbledon champion Andy Murray. It starts, as it always does, with the serve for John Isner. You look for Isner on the day. Hit 36 aces. Always helps win a third of the first serve you make generate free points and for Isner that was the story of the day whether it was the ace T on the deuce side ace T on the ad side slice wide on the deuce which he found more and more frequently as the match went on or just the big serve out wide big into the body to generate a plus one volley Isner 36 aces he won 84% of his first serve points faced just two break points in the match wasn't broken on serve throughout the course of his four set victory and of course 82 winners on the day buoyed by that 36 ace total but 46 winners in the non-service category against just 32 unforced errors 30 unforced errors if you're going to take away the serve entirely and his two double faults of course in always efficient 43 of 61 at the net look there's not much analysis to do when it comes to a John Isner match, when he lands the first serve, he's just going to generate opportunities for himself. He's going to stay competitive in every match that he plays. And John Isner has been a bastion of consistency throughout the course of his now, what, 12, 13-year run in the top 30 of the ATP Tour. You look for Isner. He's won over 60% of his matches in all but one season since 2009, that one season he's under. Under 60% was 2020, which doesn't count 10 and 10 overall, but wasn't a full schedule. He didn't have the John Isner open in Atlanta to pad his stats. Isner has won over 60% of his matches in every relevant season since 2000 freaking nine. Again, a bastion of consistency. You look for Isner this season, hasn't played the biggest schedule, but you know, has been successful 
in the tournaments that he has played. 15 and 12 overall reached a final in the indoor hard courts of Houston semifinal in a hometown tournament in Dallas. Of course, you know, the big result for him, third round at the U.S. Open. That's always good for him to hold seed at that event, even though he lost to Bernabe Zapata Morales in five sets, unseeded. Isner, the 23 seed, held seed at Roland Garros. And, you know, round of 16, Indian Wells. Whenever he can make one round of 16 in that sunshine swing, that's a good stretch for him. But of course, a former Miami champion would have loved to see him knock off Hugo Gaston. That said, you look for John Isner, you know, 37 years old is Isner, played four full seasons of college tennis. And again, that first over 60% win percentage season in 40-plus matches was 2009. It's been over a decade now for John Isner. And just, again, consistency for him. Year after year after year, you look for Isner at the Grand Slams now in his career into another third round with his victory over Murray. It's the 31st third round of his career. You look for John Isner. 31 third rounds in 53 total majors. Again, he's been top 32 in over 60% of the majors that he's played. He's definitively a top 30 guy throughout the course of his career. And of course, that starts on serve with John Isner, whose career hold percentage uh, is 91.8%. Over 90% your top three server on the ATP Tour in every season that you play. And guess what? At seven feet tall, it's not a revelation. Again, I didn't say it was going to be astute analysis. I warned you all. But for John Isner, that serve is where everything starts. And when you look at today's match, he was just clicking on serve. There was not much Murray he could do, whether it was trying to change up the return position. All right, you take a 135-mile-per-hour bullet inside the baseline on a grass court. You try doing that and having any success. And I know that's the easy, you know, pejorative default is to criticize someone and say, well, why didn't he change his position? It's like, well, you do it. It's like, well, I'm not a professional tennis player, so it's not exactly comparable. But I think all of us can understand the struggles that Murray went through, seeing the bullets that Isner was able to hit, and again, how frequently he was changing up his spots. There were moments when he was shaky, certainly start of that third set breaker when, you know, he misses a plus one forehand right off the bat, had an easy put away backhand volley. Murray was able to keep a running passing shot low, but Isner duffs it in the net, and now Murray's got the double-double break lead to take that 7-3 breaker. Isner played a shaky third set breaker. That was his only moment of shakiness. Again, lost 15 first serve points throughout the course of a four-set match, 36 aces on the day, just erased any moment Andy Murray had an opportunity, particularly you look for Murray when it was what? Uh, I suppose 5-4, or no, it would have been 5-3, 4-all. It would have been, nope, 4-3, final answer. John Isner serving in that final set. Murray gets to love 30, but it's, you know, bomb T, bomb wide bomb wide, big serve and a plus one volley. And just like that, Isner's erased the deficit and it's a hold. And I mean, to Andy Murray's credit, he was broken twice. He won 81% of his first serve points, 62% of his second serve points, 39 winners against just 13 unforced errors. He did everything you have to do against the big man. But, you know, just again, wasn't able to manufacture those extra return opportunities. And Isner, who was 0-8 against Murray in his career, earns that elusive victory advantage. Now, of course, as I alluded to at the start, Andy Murray's at pre- presence at Wimbledon, one of the transcendent presences in all of tennis history. You know, again, I don't care. You can say what you want about Djokovic, Nadal, Federer all being clearly more accomplished than Murray. They don't have a home 
the way that Andy Murray has a home at Wimbledon. And we all remember, I imagine, if you're listening to a daily tennis podcast, you remember Andy Murray breaking down in 2012 after the final uh, of his, uh, after losing to Roger Federer in the final of that 2012 Wimbledon. I remember exactly where I was. My brother had graduated high school the year before, and I was working that summer, so we didn't end up going on a trip. But the next year, going into my senior year of high school, his sophomore year of college, we traveled to Europe. And I remember being in the airport on the way to Spain when uh, Andy Murray lost and you know, watching his speech. Uh, error, I think we were on our way back from Spain, actually, when he lost and watching his speech and his I'm getting closer and feeling myself moving to tears. And again, 2012, I was 16 years old at the time. I had a license and yet I was still crying at a tennis match. That's the emotion you felt for Andy Murray in that moment where he was not only chasing Fred Perry and trying to erase the slamless streak in British tennis history, but of course, Andy Murray just as a human, you felt that more than anything else. You feel that more than anything else when Andy Murray plays. He is extraordinarily human out on court. He expresses his frustration. He's such a perfectionist, so stubborn out on court. And maybe those personality traits have always resonated with me because I like to think I exude many of them in my life. I will try to steer away from my own tennis stories, but I hate making unforced errors. It just frustrates me. I had a coach who would always say, again, the net's not going anywhere, Alex, so why would you ever miss in it? And I think that's a valid point, but certainly Andy Murray is the most extreme version of that, a man who maximized his body to the point that it broke, a guy who, again, is such a perfectionist to the point of extraordinary frustration to the detriment of his own performance at times, and that's what makes him such a captivating presence. That's why watching his comeback over the course of these past few seasons as he's dealt with so many different injuries, it's been so captivating, and all of us tune in every time he's out on court. And again, 2012, he loses the final. He's in tears. A few weeks later, he comes back. He wins the Olympics on the Wimbledon courts and goes on a few months later to win his first slam title at the U.S. Open. Comes back the next year, wins the Wimbledon singles title, ending the streak, the relief on his face, the disbelief in his expression as he won and Judy Murray bursting into tears. Again, those are one of the, some of the formative moments of the past decade, him following things up, beating Rayonich in the 2016 final on his way to finishing world number one. Andy Murray and Wimbledon, uh, That's when you tell the narrative of the past decade, that's in the first 10 chapters, right? That's one of the stories, one of the most captivating storylines from, what, 2008, 2000? Really, since he beat Gasquet 2007, probably starting in 2008 till he won the title in 2013, it was always, when is he going to do it? Not if he was going to do it, when is he going to do it? And that pressure mounted. And again, to just see him playing here, now fully embraced, the crowd doesn't put the pressure on him, they just want to see him perform Boy, is it sad we're going to lose him from the tournament. Obviously, he's meant so much to so many. But again, Isner's firing darts. Not much you can do about it. John Isner, 6-4, victory. Up next, for John Isner, Yannick Sinner, who, again, has played fewer than 15 grass court matches in his career at the ATP Tour level and has certainly looked good in wins over Emer and Stan Wawrinka, but... It's a winnable match for John Isner. If he serves like this, he can win the damn tournament. I mean, again, the guy was lights out on the first serve today. And if Andy Murray can't do anything about it, I understand 
he doesn't have the legs of a spring chicken. But, you know, again, uh, outside of Novak Djokovic, uh, gosh, you look for Carlos Alcaraz. His next two matches, by the way, Oscar Ota next, then John Isner potentially. If that's the two matchups, just a serving nightmare. You face Struff, Isner, and Ota in three of your first four matches. Carlos Alcaraz is getting a warm welcome to the courts of Wimbledon here in his second appearance. We'll talk more about Alcaraz later. Again, the draw for Isner. He advances to another third round at a major, as I alluded to for Isner. His 31st third round at a major in his career. You look for him at Wimbledon. He's now made the third round five different times. Uh, that was your headline match of the day, but tough day for the Brits, particularly particularly the Brits who had center court tickets, the match I want to move to next in upset on paper. But if you've been following the action closely of late, if you've been following here on the Mini Break podcast over the past 10 days, you would have heard us talk quite a bit about a resurgent performance from Caroline Garcia. And Caroline Garcia was excellent today in a 6-3-6-3 victory over 10th seeded Emma Raducanu. And look, the out, the match was an hour 26 minutes. Outside of the first 30 minutes, was it ever truly in doubt for Caroline Garcia? No. Emma Raducanu had to do a lot of scoreboard chasing in this match, but she chased exceptionally well. And you look at the stats from this match. Emma Raducanu, who made 72% of her first serves yet, won only 28 of the 58 points she played on serves, so fewer than 50%. That certainly was a struggle. That said, she was competitive in every one of her service games, competitive in Caroline Garcia's service games as well. Over 20 deuces played in this match, and you look for Emma Raducanu, 12 winners against eight unforced errors. That tells the story of this match. She just wasn't able to generate enough easy points for herself, enough easy aggression, wasn't able to easily hit Caroline Garcia off of her spots, and Garcia was exceptional throughout the course of this match, making 61% of her first serves, winning 50, uh, 74% of her first serve points. Again, winning over 50% of her return points throughout the course of this match. She's 5 of 8 on breakpoint chances, 25 winners against 20 unforced errors, 16 of 20 at the net in this match. The key to this was Caroline Garcia identified the Emma Raducanu weakness, which was served to the Raducanu forehand. The Raducanu forehand struggled mightily throughout the course of this match. And you can point to different errors. You know, two all, I think it was deuce number two in the first set. And, you know, I think it was three all and or three four when she was serving maybe three five, 15, 30, where just again, Countless times, countless times. Watch the highlights of this match. Watch the full match. Countless times. Caroline Garcia either A, served to the Raducanu forehand, or B, hit the return deep with pace. Not necessarily to stretch Emma Raducanu on the forehand wing, but deep at her body, down the center of the court, but on the forehand wing. And because of the backswing of Emma Raducanu, if you can get that ball onto her body, it's just a little bit harder for her to extend into that shot. And, you know, when she has her feet set, she can extend into the forehand. She hits the inside-in forehand particularly well. I think she hits the forehand well when she's on the run also because she's forced to extend outside of her body when she's on the run. And as such, she always follows through on that side. 
the backhand for Emma Raducanu was exceptional, and it's what kept her in this match. Anytime Raducanu got a look at a backhand return, she was able to step into that ball, whether it be down the line, cross court, of course. When she was able to connect successfully on the backhand return, it set up plus one opportunities for her with to have her feet set when she was hitting the forehand. And as I'm making clear, I hope, Emma Raducanu is a completely different player hitting that forehand when her feet are set or when she's on the complete sprint versus when she's hitting that forehand from uncomfortable positions. And a credit to Caroline Garcia, who's striking the ball so fluidly on both the forehand and backhand wing. She could take both of those sides early on the rise. While sometimes she does play the forehand a little bit closer to her body, she's just moving so fluidly right now around these courts, exploding into the ball. And Saw the Raducanu serve just so cleanly throughout the course of this match. Again, was lacing returns at the feet of Raducanu to the point where Raducanu could do nothing else but pop up her first plus one ground stroke. And at that point, Garcia pounced, got Raducanu stretched. And credit to Amar Raducanu, who is pretty good in the outer thirds of the court, did a great job dipping the first pass at the feet of Garcia and you know putting Garcia in uncomfortable positions at times. But Garcia was relentless. And again, 16 of 20 at the net. That stat speaks for itself. So credit to Caroline Garcia, who, excuse me, with her victory, you know, again, I'm, I'm in tears here. I'm tearing up because I'm uh, at Caroline Garcia now. She's won seven consecutive matches here, 16 and 11 in 2022, obviously won the title in Bad Hamburg, beating Andrescu, Cornet, impressive victories uh, in the buildup to this Wimbledon now, uh, survives a third set breaker against Miyazaki before the straight set victory against Radakanu. She'll now take on number 33 seed Jung Shui, who, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract will be an underdog against Caroline Garcia. Garcia, 55.5% chance to advance back to the fourth round. And you look at this section of the draw now. Danielle Collins knocked out. Emma Raducanu knocked out. Should Garcia get through a Jung Shui, she would face the winner of Ali Risk and Marie Buzkova. Both tough outs, but neither unbeatable. And again, you look for Caroline Garcia, her pedigree on the grass courts throughout her career, 44 and 24 overall, 65% win percentage, reached the round of 16 at Wimbledon back in 2017, has won titles on the surface in Nottingham, in Majorca. She is well positioned for success. There is a world where she reaches the quarterfinals of this draw and, you know, has a shot as Adenon Jabour to make the semifinals. Boy, would that be exciting, but it's great to see Garcia's success translate. And of course, for Caroline Garcia, who is ranked as highest number four in the world in 2018, you know, drops out of the top 50, now has worked her way back up to number 55 uh, in the live rankings. And you look for Caroline Garcia, 36th in the points race this season. That's where she belongs. And, you know, it's worth noting, Caroline Garcia doesn't turn 29 years old until October of this season. Still smack dab in the midst of her prime. And I think we're seeing her play like it right now on these grass courts. Again, disappointing. One of those players would have loved to have points offered at Wimbledon so she could be inside the top 50 and now have the opportunity to set her schedule during the North American summer. But, I mean, credit to Garcia. She's brought her form. She's serving explosively. She's moving extraordinarily well. Swinging freely was just the better player in what was, again, a tightly contested 6-3, 6-3 victory for the 28-year-old Garcia. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With that said, let's stick with the theme of the upsets. And again, there were seven upsets on the day, seven seeds knocked out overall. Let's move back to the men's side. Talk about perhaps the next most significant one to the draw. And again, Murray Isner, perhaps not the most significant moving forward. Although again, looking at the draw, why can't Isner make a run at this Wimbledon? But certainly Garcia, I just alluded to how her draw has opened up. We look now at one of the quarters that has significantly opened up. It's the Kasparud quarter. Both he and Hoopy Hercots now knocked out of the section. The top two seeds eliminated as Ugo Umber moves to three and one in his career against Kasparud. Umber rallies from a first set deficit to earn a 3-6-6-2-7-5-6-4 victory over the number three seed. Much like Garcia to Radicanu, Ugo Umber's game plan was very simple in today's matchup. He served exclusively to the Kasparud backhand. Slice T on the deuce side for the lefty. He stood essentially on the alley on the ad side as he hit the slice wide uh, to that Kasparud backhand. The reason he did that, even though Kasparud knew it was coming, Rude would leave that ball short or on the surface line and then didn't matter, forehand wing, backhand wing, it offered a plus one look for Ugo Umber. And Ugo Umber is at his best when he's swinging and playing for broke. And that's what he did today. The amount of plus one backhands he hit inside in, inside out, down the line. And obviously when he has an opportunity to step into that forehand, he'll take it. His willingness to just step inside the baseline, take backhands early on the rise as a returner, Umber dictated throughout the course of this match. And it wasn't pretty tennis, you know, in terms of rallies over 10 shots, I imagine there were fewer than 20 throughout the course of this match. But that's the that's the pace Ugo Umber wants to be playing at. And you look throughout the course of this match, I mean, the last two games really do tell the story for Ugo Umber, for all, uh, for all, Kasparud is serving. Kasparud, two double faults. In that final service game, he had nine double faults overall for the match, made 62% of his first serves, but was sloppy on the second serve. Double faults twice. Umber connects on a backhand return winner, short cross-court angle, going for broke on the first. So, you know, love 15. Umber goes for broke on the first serve of the, uh, on the second serve. It's a backhand short angle winner. Love 30 after a rude double fault. 15-30 after a plus one error from rude. 15-40 after another Casper rude double fault. And then, you know, Ugo Umber connects on a return early on the rise, hits it deep at the feet of Kasparud. Kasparud has to pop that ball up. And, you know, again, Ugo Umber 
able to dictate the terms of play. Casper forced to hit, you know, an uncomfortable shot that he tries to move forward on, but it was an easy backhand pass down the line for Uko Umber. And like that, he has the break of serve 4-5-4. And then again, that's one half of the story. Umber going for broke, connecting on a couple of returns, Rude blinking in his service game. I believe in Casper Rude breaks six of 11 times. I believe Rude double faulted in four of those six games where Casper Rude earned the, or where Ugo Umber earned the break. You know, 5-4 then service game. First point, slice T plus one backhand. 15 love Ugo Umber. Second point, slice wide plus one forehand. 30 love. Third point, Slice T, unreturnable serve, uh, you know, 40 love. Fourth point, mixes things up, goes with the slice down the T. Of course, Kasparud is camping so far out in the alley, trying to protect his backhand that he misses the return long as he has to stretches out to get it. Umber holds that love. Umber advances. 6-4 in the third. And on our Cracked Rackets Match of the Day segment yesterday for our Patreon subscribers, I mentioned how bad things have been for Ugo Umber, how streaky he has been really since play resumed in August 2020 during this pandemic. There have been some notable runs for Ugo Umber. Certainly his title in Halle last season on the grass courts, his title in Antwerp at the end of 2022. Uh, at the end of the 2020 season, but Ugo Bears 41 and 44 overall uh, since August 2020. And after reaching a career high of 25 in June of last year, he's fallen to 112. Uh, we have not done a good enough job of capturing that fall. Umber from inside the top 30 to outside the top 100, he's number 112 now on the back of his 12 and 23 record in the last 52 weeks. You look for Ugo Umber in terms of first matches he's played at tournaments. Again, he's played 46 total tournaments over the course of the past two and a half years. He's 21 and 23 in first matches during those events. Or excuse me, he's played, yes, 21 and 23 overall during the course of those first matches. So I guess 44 total tournaments. He's 21 and 23 in first matches. He's lost over half of his first rounds. You're just not going to be able to sustain a ranking inside the top 30 if you're losing over half of your first rounds. He's also struggled of late in the big events, whether it be at the Grand Slams, where again, since August 2020, uh, Ugo Umber has struggled. He's now uh, four and eight overall at the slams during that stretch. This is the first slam he's won multiple matches at. Again, during this stretch of time, you look for him overall against opponents ranked inside the top 50. Ugo Umber since August 2020, 18 and 25. That's just not going to cut it. And for Umber, you know, the things he's done well, he's always held serve well. It's fallen off a cliff this season. He's down to a career low 77.8%. The problem is the break percentage, though. He's perennially a bottom five returner, rarely eclipsing that, you know, 20% threshold on break percentages. He's not breaking one out of every five games. He's forced to play a lot of 7-5, 7-6 sets. And you look for Ugo Umber, 43-43 and in tiebreakers at the ATP level throughout the course of this season. It's just a lot of tight margins. And as such, you know, the the first round record speaks for itself. That said, I mentioned the streaks. uh, I mentioned the weapons. I mentioned the fact that he's now 3-1 against Kasparud. His game plan, exploit the rude backhand, unabashed 
unabashedly and just go after the plus one ball, it works against Kasparud. And that was certainly part of the narrative of this match. You look for Kasparud, 21 winners against 21 unforced errors, 11 of 18 at the net, won 67% of his first serve points, which is fine, but not that great. Four of nine on breakpoint chances. He was just fine in this match. He was a replacement level player on this surface. And what I mean by that is, you know, he was just as good as, you know, there there was no definitive weakness other than that backhand return. But I, you know, again, Ugo and Bear, one of the five turner uh, servers best suited to exploit that Kasparud return, particularly given he is a lefty. Yes, that was an issue for Kasparud. will continue to be an issue for him, particularly on this surface where you can't get away with looping back the backhand return because it's so difficult to respond to a plus one attack. But, you know, Rude picks his spots well. I like his plus one game. I do like when he chooses to move forward. It's just his defensive skills are so clearly neutralized on this surface and learning to return closer to the baseline and taking away that slice wide backhand return where he has to be six feet behind the court. And because he is, there's just so much space for Ugo and Bear to attack. There are little tactical things Casper Rude can do, but physically, I thought he looked better on this surface. Still not great, but better. And better as a building block for Kasparud as, you know, Kasparud now 23 years old. He'll still have at least a decade more of Wimbledon's to play. With that said, though, that's probably, again, one of your marquee upsets on the day. Radakanu Rude being knocked off. Let's look at the other upsets we saw now on day three. Again, first half of our second round of singles action. Seven of them in singles on the day. You know, Julie Niemeyer, I, I had warned this on our GSP Ace of the Day. I thought, A, Conteve was going to lose early. B, Niemeyer had the sort of weapons to make Conteve pay for her tentativeness. That was precisely the case. 6-4-6 love victory for Julie Niemeyer over Annette Conteve. You look at the stats from this match. Niemeyer dominant on serve throughout the course of the match. But honestly, I thought she was more dominant in the first set than she was during the third set. You look for uh, Niemeyer throughout the course of the match, 19 of 24 on the first serve, 16 of 23 on the second serve. Again, she served, what, three plus five, eight total games in this match. She lost uh, 14 total points in eight service games. Excuse me, she lost 12 total points in eight service games throughout the course of this match. It just felt like every time Annette Conteve tried to turn into a ball, tried to generate pace, tried to generate some sort of aggression, the ball sailed on her. And you look for Conteve, made, hit seven winners against 24 unforced errors, made only 51% of her first serve points, did not generate a breakpoint chance throughout the course of this match, which is, of course, what will happen when you only win 12 points on the return of serve. It was just impossible for Conteve to generate anything. And credit to Niemeyer, whose forehand is just a gun. I mean, she goes after that thing, and she keeps it low, keeps it flat, smacks that bad boy, you know, comfortable changing direction as well. And because it's a big backswing on her forehand side, a little Soderling-esque on that forehand backswing, 
you know, when she disguises and throws in the drop shot or just keeps you uncomfortable, it's it's unexpected. It it throws you off guard. And certainly you look for Niemeyer now here over the course of the last 52 weeks. She's, you know, 37 and 20 overall. She's 27 and 13 here in 2022. Has played some ITF action, but, you know, won a 60K back in April. Won 125K at the end of May on the clay court. She qualifies in Roland Garros before a three-set loss to Sloane Stevens makes final round qualifying in Australia before a three-set loss there. You know, she's up to number 97 in the WTA rankings and reached a career high of number 94 at the start of May. For the 23-year-old, she's establishing herself on the WTA Tour, and the reason she's able to do that is the weapons she possesses. You look for Niemeyer career hold percentage for her of 65.6% at the Tour level, but 72% at the ITF level. You take that ITF level where she's played the majority of her matches and translate that to the top 50. 72% hold percentage puts you in the top 15, which is the sort of power Niemeyer possesses beyond the serve. Now, in the first set, she wasn't able to do that much to respond to Conteve's plus one tennis whenever Conteve was able to land a plus one shot, which is few and far between in this match. But again, the defensive skills, the movement is not elite out of Julie Niemeyer. It's not bad, though. She anticipates extraordinarily well. And again, I think she's got a great first step. And when she gets her feet set under her, you're just in trouble with the weapons she possesses, forehand, backhand, wing, her willingness to take the return early on the rise and go big on that shot to dictate. I was thoroughly impressed with Niemeyer, who just outplayed Annette Conteve. And obviously, Annette Conteve was diagnosed with COVID earlier this year and you know has dealt with different injuries as well, just has not been the same player since reaching the final in Doha at the end of February and you know she has to find her health quickly because she faces so much pressure at the end of the season so many points to defend and you know still has Toronto Cincinnati as freebies on her calendar and the U.S. Open really to put points on her resume as a player who will have the benefits of a top 10 of top 10 seeding but she has to put some points on the board because then all of those year-end tournaments come off the schedule and given how few matches she's played here in 2022 and at Conteve 17 and 9 overall in the season which of course again isn't that bad and was a testament to her start to the year. She may want to play all those year-end events just to get more matches under her belt, but she also may have to to sustain her ranking because, again, uh, it's just been tough for her with the various injuries and having to deal with COVID as well. But credit to Niemeyer, you know, earns the victory of her career into a third round at a Grand Slam for the first time in her career as well. I suspect it may not be the last for the soon-to-be, excuse me, soon-to-be 23-year-old, but, you know, that was definitely one of the big upsets on the day on the women's side. You also had a couple others. I mentioned uh, Tatiana Maria knocking off 26th seed. Serana Kirstea, 7-5, third set victory for Maria. You also had Alicia Cherenko, just a little bit more pop, a little bit more pace, and was able to match the physicality of Angelina Kalanina. So a 3-6, 6-4, 6-3 victory for Cherenko over the 29th seeded Kalanina. Of course, on the men's side, I mentioned Umber with the upset of the number three seed. You also had Timmy Van Reithoven uh, knocking off 15th seeded Riley Opelka. Van Reithoven now undefeated still on grass courts of 6-4, 6-7, victory for Van Reithoven, who is into the third round of the slam 
for the first time in his career. Van Reithoven now seven consecutive victories at the tour level after not having a single tour level victory coming into June of this season. Another guy who would be inside the top 100 now and would have the opportunity to test his weapons and ride this confidence at the tour level if points were being offered at Wimbledon. But again, no crying over spilled bean or spilled milk, whatever the expression is. Van Reithoven can ball. He just has those sorts of weapons. And you look for Van Reithoven today, 84 of 93, won 90% of his first serve points. 32 of 46 on the second serve wasn't broken throughout the course of this match. Opelka 0 for 5 on break point chances. Opelka had a love 40 lead in his one love game start of the fourth set. Just, you know, Van Reithoven didn't panic. Couple of big first serves, one plus one well executed shot well within the well within the margins, but just to get Opelka stretched. Van Reithoven was relentless. Seventeen aces, but thirty-five winners otherwise against twenty-eight unforced errors, twenty-one of twenty-seven at the net. He was the big server who made things look routine against the fifteenth seed at Wimbledon. Again, Van Reithoven into the third round of a major for the first time in his career. It is just all clicking for the 25-year-old, one of the stories certainly of the past month and probably a top 10 story here in this 2022 season. You just don't see runs like this this frequently. And again, it's how real it feels. The serve, the plus one forehand, his ability to find that inside in ball, the weapon that is his one-handed backhand when he swings through it, and then the slingshot that is his serve. Again, it's just the weapons feel real, and it feels like this is going to translate across surfaces, and it remains nuts to me that Van Reithoven has never won a challenger title and now he has an ATP title and he's into the third round of Wimbledon you got to love this sport Van Reithoven again four set victory over the 15th seeded Riley Opelka and look it, it was a tightly contested match but ultimately again Van Reithoven 6-4-6-7-7-6-7-6 earns the only break of serve in that first set you also had David Goffin he's officially answered the question he's healthy uh, as he earned straight set victories over Elbot and then Sebastian Baez today to get to another Wimbledon third round there's just not a lot of weaknesses in Goffin he's moving fluidly he's swinging confidently and you look for Goffin his section of the draw. Now, again, things have opened up. There's no Casper Ruud left. It's Ugo Umber and then one of Tiafo or Sasha Bublik. You know, according to Tennis Abstract singles forecast, David Goffin is the favorite now to make the quarterfinal in his section. And you look beyond him, you know, Vesley, Tommy Paul, Steve Johnson, Cam Norrie. If you're David Goffin, you're thinking to yourself, holy crap, I can make the semifinals. I just have to stay healthy. And he's played as well as any player in that section through the first two rounds. But again, seven upsets on the day. You now have, let's see, three, eight, nine women's seeds plus four, 13 women's seeds eliminated. Uh, you also have four, six, eight plus three is 11 men's seeds eliminated thus far. Eh, that's about right. You know, third round, top 32, about a third of that top 32 always, uh, uh, random's the wrong word, unexpected would be the better terminology there. So those are your upsets on the day. Of course, we also had a couple other matches that went 
the distance on the men's and women's side. You look on the women's side, three-set hard-fought victory for Ali Risk. And look, I think all of us have fallen in love with the young Polish qualifier, Cholenska, but you know, the lefty just kind of ran out of juice down the home stretch and credit to Ali Risk who absorbed all of the blows in the first set and was, you know, just wanted to make one extra ball. Just again, forced Trelinska into that uncomfortable position time after time and see if she could handle the test. See if she could hang at this level in the track meet and continue to change directions to continue to generate these remarkable shots from in and out of corners. And, you know, unfortunately, she she was not able to, but I think we're going to see more of the lefty moving forward. Again, Risk showing off veterans guile in her execution. 3-6-6-1-6 love win for the 28 seed. Speaking of veterans guile, physicality was the name of the game in Cam Nori versus Haomi Munar. Munar's 25 years old. That happened quickly. I remember it felt like just last year when he was a teenager breaking through on the clay courts. But look, Cam Nori is as physical as any player on the ATP Tour. The lefty just makes you work. He's not going to blow away at with you with any of his weapons. Very, fee- uh, you know, the male Krejcikova. Maybe, you know, again, the, the field's a bit different, uh, but plays the Krejcikova role and then he's extraordinarily efficient. If you leave a ball short, he's going to move it in, move in behind it. He absorbs pace extraordinarily well. Not going to hit this ball in the same direction two times in a row. That forehand, a little more juice on it than you expect. That backhand, a little deeper on you than you expect. Uh, Five-set victory for Nori was down two sets to one, ultimately 6-4-3-6-5-7-6-6-2. He advances. And then big servant Yuri Vesely. I still have stock in Vesely vacation home, and that's all it is. It's not a vacation home. You can't live on the Vesely property full-time. It's just not sustainable. There's no grocery store, and you know the only grocery store you find is 40 minutes out, and it's a Walmart that's off the first highway exit, and it's not exactly the highest quality produce. I mean, you do what you have to do. You're still going to buy those apples because who doesn't like a good apple and peanut butter at the end of the night? But you know, again, that's Vesley Vacation Home. That said, this is when you travel to the Vacation Home at Wimbledon, where he's always been at his best. Furthest he's ever made it to a slam. Second week came at Wimbledon, and for Vesley ends the run of Davidovich Fokina, 6357676376. Vesley was up a break early in the fifth set. Fokina works his way back. Wasn't the prettiest tennis. The, the super breaker was particularly ugly. Only, you know, two return points won, three return points won, excuse me, throughout the course of the set. Vesley lands a backhand deep. On Davidovich Fokina on the first point. Davidovich Fokina makes an error. Then 6-5 up. Vesley makes a plus one forehand error. And just like that, it's 6-all. 7-8. Davidovich Fokina serving. Vesley lands the return deep. Davidovich Fokina eventually nets a routine forehand and spikes a ball out of the stadium, of course, which I did not know at the time. That was his second uh, code violation, which results in a point penalty. The chair umpire ruling as such. Vesley, uh, Davidovich Fokina awarded a point penalty down 7-9 in the breaker. That made it 10-7. That decided the super breaker. And of course, for Davidovich Fokina, he was stunned. I don't think he had realized he had gotten a code violation earlier in the match as well. Look, the rule says if you get two code violations, you're booted. I have never enjoyed that the ball spiking is a code violation. Look, you got to let these players express their personalities. Obviously, there's abuse to a point where it has to be it has to be controlled and it ha- it cannot be allowed, but sending a ball into the crowd does not 
constitute a gross violation of conduct to me on court at least. So I hate to see that being how a match and certainly Davidovich Shokina spiking that ball. He must have been aware and felt as if he had lost the match. But I mean, look, it, again, it wasn't the prettiest tennis. A lot of big serves from Vesely, a lot of plus ones, a lot of go-for-broke returns that were missed. But hey, tall lefty, six foot six on a grass court, as we see, that usually gets the job done. But again, outside of the upsets we saw on the day, only three matches going the distance on day number three. And that's because the top seeds looked awfully good. And that, of course, is where we wrap our coverage of day number three on this show. You look on the women's side, I thought Kawa did a good job of pushing number three seed Onjabur in the first set, just kept her honest and honestly hit nothing in the center third of the court, was just finding angle after angle and forcing Jabour to at least play from the stretch. But, I mean, Kawa just didn't have the weapons to hurt Jabour, and over time, Jabour was just target practice on the return of serve. She's looked like a finalist contender should. 6-4-6 love for Jabour. I thought Sakari looked excellent. The backhand was locked in in a 6-4-6-3 win over Veronica Tomova. Uh, oh, Victoria Tomova, excuse me. Ostapenko striking the ball so well. 2-2 two and two over Vic Meyer. She is a serious contender for the title as we anticipated. She might be also at a win from Kerber, who is in shape, is ready to roll. And then Jung uh, Shui, uh, a 6-2 and two win over Marta Kostyuk. Disappointing for Kostyuk. Impressive for Shui. Also finally finishing, Jess Pagula plays her first round match three days later, but a 3-6 and six win for her over Donna Vekic. Pagula going to have to play again tomorrow. Uh, of course, your other straight winners, Begu, uh, and then Marie Buskova. Nice follow-up win to the Danielle Collins. No layoff for her. You know, no mental lapse. She earns an 0-3 win over Ann Lee. Harriet Dart, 1-4 over Masarova. Then a couple of youngsters, 19-year-old Diane Perry. The serve, the forehand, the athleticism. There's a reason she's a former junior world number one. There's a reason she's already in the top 100. Beat Krejcikova, reached the third round at the French Open, now into a third round here at Wimbledon, 3-2 and two over Han Thomas. She was spectacular. One-handed backhand as well, not too shabby. And then Kai Yuvon continues her great form, 5-3 and three win for her over Golfi to advance on the men's side. And I mentioned this on our GSP Ace of the Day preview segment where I offer my picks for each day's matches. Novak Djokovic looked like a champion today. 6-1-6-4-6-2 was up a break on Kokonakis before Kokonakis knew it coming out of the gates, broke him fairly early in the second set as well and was just in cruise control in this match, serving and volleying, hitting the drop shot, redirecting anything at will. He just had Kokonakis on a string. I'm ready to bet Djokovic to win the tournament. He was my prediction to win it before I feel that much more confident after his first round straight set victory today just was fluid, improved everything that was a little sloppy from his first-round performance. Ditto for Carlos Alcaraz, who reminds us all, if you don't have a weapon, you're not going to beat him. As rock-solid as Talon Greek Sport is, he just couldn't find a way to routinely hurt Alcaraz. Alcaraz, a straight-set winner. I was very impressed by Yannick Sinner. Sinner, the number 10 seed, four-set win over Mikhail Emer. Just, again, that match was physical. Emer kept himself in every point, and while he doesn't do anything exceptionally, he is an exceptional athlete, and he just knows how to win tennis points. Uh, but Sinner's weapons won out in the end, and again, the physicality Sinner's been able to show on this surface, that has been one of my takeaways from the first two rounds. Francis Tiafo continued, a couple of Americans, Tiafo, Tommy Paul, they continue to cruise. American men, 4-1 and one on the day, shout out, but 
Tiafo and Paul are just they're clicking right now. And their opponents, Max Martyr, Adrian Manorino, they were overmatched. And for Tiafo now, eight straight wins against left-handed opponents for Tommy Paul after reaching two quarterfinals on the grass courts heading into this Wimbledon. Just again was in control from the start. Dare I say dominant against Adrian Manorino and the skills and the physicality and the brain, they're all blending at once for Tommy Paul. And he's always had the talent, but it's all coming together right now for the number 30 seed who, again, draw wide open for Tommy Paul now, given the upsets we've seen in that Casper Rude uh, section of the draw. Tommy Paul now going to face Yuri Vesely, then the winner of Cam Norrie and Stevie Johnson with a shot at a quarterfinal at this slam on the line. Of course, speaking of Stevie J, as I alluded to, on our Ace of the Day segment, he just dominates other college guys. Three, two, and four win over former Memphis standout Ryan Penniston. You also had a straight set win from Sasha Bublik. Four set wins from Basilishvili and Kasmenovic. And then a retirement victory for Oscar Ota. Christian Harrison forced to retire due to injury. Your two matches to not finish on the day. Heather Watson up 7-5-5-4 on Wang Chung. And then Elise Mertens, who's made 17 consecutive, as I alluded to in round one. Merton 17 consecutive third rounds at the majors. Schfeld was down two match points, down 6-3, 6-5, 2 but fights them off, takes the second set, 7-6. That match going to continue tomorrow. Uh, shout out to Elisa Mertens, as always, one of my favorite streaks in professional tennis. With that said, that's day three of the 2022 Wimbledon. As we look towards day number four, let's play it again. My favorite matches of the day. Uh, Certainly, I've got five of them on the men's and women's side. I think Rabakana Andrescu, probably my favorite match overall, and that was our Cracked Rackets Patreon match of the day. I think the big serving Rabakana is just always a threat on this surface, and according to Tennis Abstract, she's the favorite against Andrescu, but if you've watched Andrescu during this grass court season, she's taken things to a different level, and again... Anytime you watch her play, there are 10 minutes where you're like, oh, yeah, she could be world number one someday if she wants to be. Feels like this is very much a match between two of the few players on the short list who could give Iga a serious run. You've also got Krichikova, Golubic, Golubic quarterfinalist last year. Krichikova knocked out in the round of 16. You've got Pliskova, Bolter, Bolter beat Pliskova a couple of weeks ago. Claire Liu versus Alize Cornet, Pagula versus the dangerous Harriet Dart. Fun day of women's singles action, of course, on the men's side. Demon Hour Draper, big serving lefty, has the weapons advantage, but he will never have faced a test like the physicality and speed of Alex Demon Hour. You've got Jack Sock, Max Cressy, a lot of Americanness on that court. Shapovalov Nakashima, fun contrast of styles. Same for Vondesen Shkulp versus Rusevori. And then for the nerds, Taylor Fritz taking on former TCU All-American Alistair Gray. I think that match is going to be particularly exciting. But, of course, we'll have a recap of all of that action for you tomorrow as we continue to cover this 2022 Wimbledon. And I'll say it for the final time here. Picks and previews each and every day on our Great Shot podcast feed. You can find those podcasts wherever you listen to your pods or on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, we're talking throughout the day on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Cracked Rackets, at A.L. Gruskin. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout-out, as well, to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our super producer, 
Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.